Hey there, welcome to Friendly Ties. This is a podcast about board games, and today we're talking about one game, and that's Messina 1347. I'm joined today by my good friends Anastasia and Nick, and um, we've played it a bunch, so we're going to talk about it a decent bit. Uh, before we get into that, though, I do want to briefly say that we did not film a playthrough for this one like we have for many other games in the past, um, but we're going to try to explain it as we go, so hopefully this all makes sense. Uh, yeah, so Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about the game? Yeah, so Messina 1347, just as a kind of brief overview of what you're doing in this game, is a six-round worker placement game. I say that with the trepidation in my voice because you don't place workers really except for when you get them or in the first round. They really move around yeah. um, to different spaces on the board. But worker placement is appropriate because when you've taken an action, it blocks someone else from taking that action. Um, the other thing that you're doing is, of course, like most worker placement games, you are managing your resources um, as you are going around this plague ridden city, uh, fighting the plague by burning things to pieces. Yes. Rescuing the <laughs> citizens to bring them back to your your uh, villa. And in your villa, they will you'll put them to work. Obviously, they don't just get to live there for free um, or they could live there for free. Yeah. yeah they, even the sick people. Unless work. you have a ton of people, in which case they don't work. Uh, <laughs> so I guess in theory, they don't have to work. It just kind of depends on your situation. And then ostensibly over the course of the game, you will uh, then use your great influence and power to repopulate the city and you will send those workers back to Messina uh, to, to complete the full loop. That's that's a, a rough overview of what you're doing. There's a lot going on in this game. I remember I taught this to you two a few weeks ago, um, and we've all played it a bunch. I think I played four times. Anastasia, you have more plays than that, I think, and Nick is about the same. Uh, and I'm pretty sure I'm I am I have whatever both of your plays are combined because I've only played it with the two of you, <laughs> and I've played it every time either of you have played it. <laughs> sure. So we we played this one a bunch, uh, two and three players, and we'll talk about player count a little bit more later, but uh, I did want to say that um, there's a lot going on to this game. I remember when I taught it, I felt like it was a, a one more thing, a one more thing type of situation. It, it looks on the surface like, oh, it's a worker placement game with a few things going on, but, but it did end up taking me quite a while to teach. And I think we're going to try to talk about different things, not really in a vacuum because everything kind of ties together, but the first big thing is the tile worker placement. Um, you know, there's a hexagon grid in the middle of the table. It's kind of different every time you play the game. Like, the, the tiles are shuffled up. And then you, like like Nick said, the first round you just place the workers, and after that you move them around. And you not only have the blocking of, you know, you can't go where somebody else has been, but you have to pay money to travel farther. And so it's possible that somebody might, the good spots around you have all been occupied, and you have to spend resources just to, to go to a spot that you might not even be crazy about, I suppose. Yeah, you know, I love what you said, Nick, about how you were like, it's worker placement-ish, right? So on those tiles, you know, whenever you t you place on a tile, no one else can go there, right? So it is worker placement in these spots, but there's this, such this spatial aspect because these tiles represent the city and you are somewhat limited in your movement on where you can go. So I I love this decision space where you're like, okay, I want to, especially in the first round, right? You want to, I want to place this worker down, but I want to be mindful that I, I have to kind of think about where else I'm going to be able to go yeah, because what's if next? I don't have enough money. Yeah. I'm going to be kind of stuck in this area. And and thankfully the city is not huge, especially at lower player counts. So you, you're, it's not too bad, but I, I think when you get up a little bit in that player count, it's a little bit harder to think about kind of where you want to be and, and how you want to get there. 
So in addition to all this, there's this really cool incentivization thing going on as well, because you have these hexagons that have actions on them that uh, are very straightforward. You know, a piece of wood icon and a fire icon means you take a wood token and a fire token from the supply that you can then use later on for stuff. And uh, most of the actions are nice and straightforward. But on top of that, the game itself in most of the rounds drops these little plague cubes down onto random-ish hexes on the board, and it also drops citizens down onto random-ish hexes on the board. And when you visit a spot, um, if there's a citizen there, then you can rescue them, and if there's a plague there, then you can fight the plague. Um, if there's plague and a citizen, then you're going to rescue a sick citizen who goes into a quarantine hut. But citizens are important, and we'll talk about them a lot more later on, but it just adds an extra interesting layer. You're not just going there for the action. You might specifically go to a spot just because there is a nobleman there, and you really need a nobleman to do the other stuff you want to do, and you're like, oh, I guess I'll take two wood as well. Maybe I'll find something to do with that later on. And I, I like that extra layer of incentive that happens. The plague cubes just stack up. The, uh, the populace kind of stacks up, but if there's plague around, then it's going to wipe them out, so they don't build up that much. No, but I, what I love about choosing an action space, right, is that even though these plague cubes come down, the, the plague, the game, and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but taking a citizen on a tile that has plague or taking a citizen off a tile that doesn't have plague is like either way, it's this extra bonus action because of, of the various benefits you get. If you fight plague, you get to go up on these tracks and you... Your workers go into a different space. If you take citizens, they go straight on your board and they also get to do cool things. No matter what happens, there's multiple options for this bonus action on top of whatever the action space is doing. And so when you're choosing your spots, you I find myself oftentimes being like, ooh, like I don't want to just take an action. Like I want to take an action that either has a plague in the citizen or has I don't want to take one that just has plague, right? Like you're like yeah. you're. It looking feels bad if there's like no plague of... and no person. Like you almost yeah. you, you actively <laughs> avoid those actions. Yeah, you like you you're you're kind of gauging them based on like okay, what do I want to do, or what's going to give me the most like layers of actions that I'm going to get to do. So sometimes you might be like, ooh, I think I want to go take like you said a fire and a wood, but ooh, if I go over here and I build. I'm going to get, I'm going to get to fight off plague. I'm going to get this citizen who's going to go do this other thing for me. And so like, I love that. So the actions, it's like layers. They kind of, they're like constantly changing and giving you more options while the, the action spots themselves are essentially staying the same. Yeah. I mean, you're landing on it. What I think is the dopest part of this game. Like if you looked at this game and you're like, oh, it's a worker placement game. Like what are the actions? It's like get a couple of resources, spend a couple of resources, advance on a track. Like the actual like action spaces are not interesting. But what makes it interesting is exactly what you're saying. You ask the question, like, is there a plague cube here or not? And John, you talked about how like normally you want to go where there's like a lot of action. But if I don't have any fire, That's I true. actually don't want to go to those spaces. That's true. Right. And yeah. I, I think that that like. Uh, it's not asymmetry, but that that circumstantial difference, right? Like you have fire and I yeah. don't have fire. Yeah. Or I already have three nuns. And so going here to get another nun is actually not beneficial for me at all. Um, and that's actually really cool. That sort of uh, that that fact that every spot has multiple pieces on it. I think one thing that's that's could be off putting about that, though, uh, is that it is it is a pretty random in terms of like at the beginning of the turn structure you're, it's not output and randomness it's input randomness but like at the beginning of a round those things are going to get put out by the game board and then you're going to say oh well that spot's just amazing for me obviously i'm going <laughs> to go there <laughs> yeah this does lend 
itself towards analysis paralysis, though. Um, you know, you could yeah. say that about a lot of uh, worker placement games, um, you know, like crunching through, well, you know, there's these three things I need to do, and what's the priority? Because if I don't do the highest priority and somebody takes it, then everything could fall down. And you could spend a lot of time thinking through that, you know, what action spots do I want to go to? What action spots can I even reach by moving my workers around? Do I have enough money to move the workers as far as I need to go? Oh, crap, I really need a craftsman. Are there any craftsmen out there? There is a craftsman over there. Okay, now I need to think about that one. And then once you add the next layer of, like, what are my opponents going to do, you really can spin off the rails unless you are really vigilant about stopping yourself from doing that. And and we as a play group are, are generally pretty cool with take backs and can I fix that? Yeah. Uh, but if a round goes by... Someone else has moved to another location and like taken choices. You actually really, you really can't roll those things back. So it it does lend itself a little bit more to that AP problem. For sure. And I think that this is definitely one of those games where you can make a mistake that, that does hurt you. I mean, the timing of when you take your actions is so key. I mean, John and I literally just played this last night, two player. And at the very end of the game, there are only three spots that do that move there are only three spots that did what I needed them to do. And I, I took one and he took one and then I made a calculated risk by misreading his board and didn't take the other one. And then he went to take it. And we had one of those moments which you never want to have in a game where I was like, look, you can say like, I already went and you can go, but I'm going to tell you right now, my whole game is tanked. If you do this right now, yeah. like if you didn't bring I this up, I here. was going to, yeah. The, yeah. the sound you made when I took that spot, it was just like this combination <laughs> of horror and, and bewilderment because you were so sure there's no world where I would do it because you had glanced over at my board and, and misread where one of my tokens completely was. Completely misread it. Yes. <laughs> completely misjudged it. And I was just like, yeah, if you do this, I'm going to just sit here and just be devastated. And like, you'll just win by yeah. like, you will definitely win by tons and tons of points because I was just like, so um, he was very gracious and let me take it back and let me do it. And he was still ultimately able to do it in a different way or, or get the movement he needed to. Yeah. Um, well, it's about having fun, right? Yeah, oh, but I was so grateful. <laughs> it's one thing to say, oh, I didn't think of that. It's another thing to say, oh, I misinterpreted that. You know, like looking at a board, where is that token on my board versus your board? There's a lot of tokens going around. So that actually, you know, lends itself to another analysis part is is there's a lot of little little tokens to consider where they're at for yours, where your opponents are at, and how that applies to everything. Because if you if you glance over and and think it's, you know, one spot, but it's actually an inch away from where you thought it was, that could devastate your whole game plan. And it's interesting too, right? Like I don't I wouldn't describe this game as like a crazy brain burner. Like I'm like calculating like this and that. I find that the mistakes come in like a one plus one plus one plus one mistake. And then I'm like, that equals three. It's like, no, it equals five. Wait, what? How? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we're going to go into some details of some of the other pieces and, and you know, and how you get here and, and like, what are these spots doing and, and why it becomes this kind of fun, you know, wild, like chaining of actions kind of thing. But before we do that, I, I don't want to go too much farther without just kind of acknowledging the inherent... Um, player count differences here right because because it really speaks to what we're talking about right this the ap the randomness the tightness of these action spaces and now we have all played this i think i played it five times i I played it we we the three of us played it twice there and we're gonna talk about this a little bit more too but there's a beginner 
game and an advanced game. So we played it one way each at three. John and I played it twice at two, one way each. And then Nick, I think you and I played it twice at two players. Well, just once, right? Yeah, just the once. Okay. So I am very curious to hear your guys' thoughts, though I think I know them. But <laughs> I am going to say unequivocally, this is a two-player only game for me. Plays to four. It's absolutely a two to four player game. I'm sure there's many people who would love it, but I will probably only ever play this game at two. And that's because for me, there's just enough control over your actions and and I and that kind of counteracts that randomness and like kind of self-limits my personal AP, right? Like so that 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 way that weighing I was doing with with the action with John. I was like, I can calculate what he's going to do enough, enough. But at three, so many, you know, two other people going and taking moves and blocking your spots. It is too hard to plan when you're playing with three players. There's no way that you're going to know what's going to be available to you. So by the time it gets back to you, the downtime is crazy because you're just like, okay, wait, well, now I just need to like completely reanalyze the board because I have no sense of what I can do because I've got, you know, two people going and I, I might play it at three, but definitely would never play it at four. If you're at, if you're at four, you have to be ready to throw 50% of your, your plans out the window at any given time. Yeah. 100%. I'd say that's generous. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe I'm just really good at planning. <laughs> as far as like hard numbers are concerned, I think that's worth mentioning that, you know, our first three player game took almost three hours, not quite. And the very next night we played it three players again and it was like two hours and 20 minutes. So like it was already significantly faster on our second play at three players. Uh, but then subsequently, I know the two two-player games I played uh, with you, Anastasia, those were both a little under two hours. And Nick and I, I think, played it in 90 minutes. You can definitely get it down if, you, if you're kind of going speedy Yeah, I'm a it. slower player than Nick, for sure. <laughs> yeah, Nick, John and I love to just kind of be lazy in games and let our minds go with them. And that's the thing. I'm totally down with a two-hour experience for this game. And for me personally, I would play it at three in the future, but I also prefer it at two. Um, it, honestly, it's been a joy to play it too. That's a little bit of a spoiler for how much I've been enjoying the game. Um, and I enjoyed it less at three, not only because of the analysis paralysis, but the downtime. It just, because there's a lot to think about, it should sometimes take a while to get back to me. Also because there's differing numbers of workers that you can have in this game, which I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later on. Um, so in that, that second game, that was three players. I definitely found myself in a situation where like I was done and I was not going to be able to do anything for like at least 10 minutes <laughs> because both of you had like way more workers than me and I was just out of it at that point. So so the, the overall time is important and some people are totally fine with a three hour three player game um, and some people for some people that'd be way too much. I, I don't see myself ever playing this at four players. Uh, just like you said, I just feel like I would play a different game at four uh, <laughs> because there's just two it would just be too long. Uh, that's the other thing. Like you take the same number of actions per player, no matter how many players are around the table. And you know, six rounds, three workers minimum per player. That's eighteen turns. So you add another player in. That's eighteen more turns minimum that happens. And usually you get a fourth or even a fifth worker. So you know, just you know, if even if every turn was only you know one minute long, then you're looking at adding you know close to half an hour just um, for adding another person in there. I, Maybe a little bit longer than a minute, but you get what I'm saying. It, it's it it scales linearly. I, yeah. I agree. Um, I I'd actually 
uh, first of all, cosign your all your comments about the the two, three, and and four player. I'm actually a person who prefers to play euros at like three and four players, and I, I think you're both totally correct. This is a game that's better at two or three. I want to actually take on that that point that you had there, John, because that's something that I struggle with in this game. Is that uh, it? It feels to me like it is pretty hard to catch up. Now, I don't think that it's easy to fall behind in this game, but if you do fall behind. I feel like I could see the writing on the wall and get a little bit bummed a couple rounds out from the end of the game. You know, in a six round game, I feel like it could be round four and I could be like, I'm just dead. And I I don't like that feeling in a game. Um, I don't like the like death march to the end of the of the (laughs) of the scoring rounds. Yeah, I think that uh, Anastasia, though, you had sort of a different experience in this with this game that you played with John last night. So I'd love to hear about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean. I love that you brought that up, Nick, because, and I guess this is sort of the perfect segue to talk a little bit more about this, these kind of beginner boards and then the advanced boards. And so there are, you have a personal player board, right? That is, it's called the overseer board, which is, I don't know if that's the best name, but I guess that's what it's called. Uh, and I, I think you said we're overseeing villas. Is that what we're overseeing, Nick? Yeah, it's your villa. I, it just, Messina's in Italy, right? So it's a villa. <laughs> okay sure I th- this is a village but sure villa sure um but you Genoese, have to- so it's definitely italian yes <laughs> so you're overseeing uh these villas and i think we'll go a little bit more into the mechanics on that in a minute but the the reason i'm bringing that up is because i think it makes a big difference in terms of getting behind whether you're playing that beginner board or the advanced board so last night john and i played a game of this where we, uh, it was a two player game. We were playing the advanced boards and we had two very different boards. He had one that had these immediate bonuses that were fantastic. And they just, John was doing things in the first two rounds of the game that if I didn't love this game, which is a spoiler, I love this game. If I didn't love this game, I would hate this game. Like if that was my first play of the game, (laughs) watching John, just pop off with these magical turns while I sat there very slowly (laughs) building my little engine I it was awful like I had to like really kind of hold it knowing that my board was super selling this game by the way I know (laughs) now bear with me bear with me the advanced boards are different, right? They have different bonuses and different benefits and different things you can do. And we had all agreed that the board that I was playing was subjectively what we thought was the weakest board. And that's because it doesn't have shiny as shiny moments. It had more end game moments, right? It had things that really benefited you later in the game. And I had to wait. And I, so, so I was watching John do all of this stuff and then suddenly my game started taking off and then I started having crazy turns and then my, my bonuses started kicking in, but that all happened in the second half of this game. This game has arcs and, and so I had to wait and I just, the reason I'm saying that is so both to respond to what you're saying, Nick, that like, I do think it's possible to come back in this game. I don't think it's possible to do that with the beginner boards. I don't think there's enough kind of going on. So I do want to kind of like just flat, like warn on that. And I may be totally wrong, but that's just my impression. I do think it's possible with the advanced boards because there's so much more going on and you have kind of different goals that you're going for. But I do think you have to be patient and I do think you have to play 
very tactically and react to the situation and be very like and and I think you have to stomach it. Like I think you you can't if you just sit there and think my game is tanked and you give up, it it will be tanked. You do have to kind of like know that your experience may be on a different pace. And that's exactly what happened. And I did, I will admit, I lost to John, but I only lost to John by like 13 points or yeah. which we you know and if he made one less move it would have been five points i mean it was and in this game that is very tight it was super close and considering that when we sat down i was like oh i'm playing the worst board and john's playing the best board and then it was so close and uh, i was it was kind of amazing to see that happen actually uh, there is a flip side to that um like that that game was, was it was really great to see you come back like that but when i played that advanced board the previous time um i had one of the worst gaming experiences i've had in like the last year um yeah I, it was just uh, it was <laughs> miserable yeah. it was miserable yeah and we played the exact same super board. selling this game guys i, I know i know but what this i'm saying my, is okay right now favorite game of 2021 i'm just gonna put it out there <laughs> massive spoiler so if, don't stop listening keep listening i just want to say that like you can't fall behind and i did and i feel like i i'm don't i'm not blaming the board for it i made some poor decisions but i was two rounds into that six round game and I just had this feeling like I am totally toast. And Nick literally doubled my score. And and then Anastasia was way closer to Nick than I was in that game. Like I never got up. Like I essentially was crawling that whole game. And that was pretty miserable. And I, I did it to myself. I made those decisions, but the game also let me make those decisions and let me find myself in that place where, you know, it was a three player game. I kept coming in last in the, in the uh, player order and I desperately needed to get citizens to make my little plan work. And I kept going last and the both of you kept taking all the good citizens and, and the only citizens left were the ones that didn't make sense. And it was a, it was a downward spiral for sure. So it, I was really happy to see Anastasia. You did awesome with that board when I did so poorly with it. Um, but you know, I, I think that's because you played it better than I did. Yeah, I mean, clearly there's no there's no hail mary that you can take in this game to try to catch up, right? Like you need to you need to be there. And what I'm hearing from Anastasia is leaning into the asymmetry of. By the way, the advanced boards and the basic boards. The the short difference is that the advanced boards are asymmetric and the basic boards are not. Yeah. Uh, so leaning into your asymmetry was what helped you sort of play that catch up game and and doing that well sort of rewarded you, uh, which is which is interesting. I think that's a lesson for anyone who's picking up this game for the first time that sort of being generous in the first few rounds with players uh, just in terms of like what's going to happen or like really kind of like stomping them down is going to change their experience and how they're how they're playing this game. And since we're already talking about the like advanced versus beginner boards, uh, I, I, I know that Anastasia is a fan of the advanced boards. I prefer the beginner boards. So John, you got a tie break for us here. <laughs> we actually, <laughs> we talked about this a little bit last night. I think Probably my preferred way to play would be right in the middle. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's because you have this. You're advanced, and I'm beginner. Well, you no, know, <laughs> we have a you have this asymmetric board in front of you, but then there's a separate board that has these end game scoring conditions, and it's a it's a completely different token. And you could play with the normal boards and go with the asymmetric different end game scoring tiles, mm. or you could go asymmetric on all of these things. And I think it's probable that my favorite way to play this game is with the basic boards, but the asymmetric, slightly more advanced end game conditions, because that's going to mix up how, what you're going to do from one game to the next, like what's emphasized by those different scoring conditions. Um, but I will also say after playing last night that I'm, I'm much more on team advanced board than I was before. And I also want to say that while I had that absolutely miserable three player game, I wasn't blaming the 
game itself. I just had a really bad play, and I really wanted to play it again, and I played it twice since then and had a blast with both of those. So I was very happy to see that that was a, an outlier, but, you know, it's still a data point. Yeah, and I think that that is just that is just a product of a game like this. So I compare it to another one of my favorites, Grand Austria Hotel. And, and the reason why I see such a comparison between the two of them is because both of these games have a lot of input randomness. There is, you're just, you're adapting to the randomness of the board in this game and to the the things that come out in the same way that I feel like in Grand Austria Hotel, you're adapting to the dice. And those, in both cases, just as we've already explained, they're going to, it's going to dictate your actions. It's going to dictate your choices. The citizens that you take, that you put on your board, we haven't quite explained this yet, but there are three types of citizens, right? And they each go into different places and they each do different things. And so, but they come out randomly. And so you have to adapt to that. And I think the very nature of that means that it's going to be possible that you're going to have a bad game. It's going to be possible where like nothing is going to go your way or people are going to take what you need. And it's just, it's just not going to come together. That is just the nature of these games. And then on the flip side, you're going to have games that like totally pop off and you're going to get these crazy chains and it's going to be super satisfying. But I think that in order to have games that can go to that like pop off super satisfying place, it inherently comes with the flip side of games that may just may just not like not come together. That is a fact of Grand Astro Hotel. It's a fact of this game. And as long as you accept that and know that going in, in a game that can play pretty fast like this, I think if you played it really tight at two player, you could even get it down to 75 minutes. People on Board Game Geek claim they can play it in an hour. I think you can have a ton of fun with that, but you just, you kind of do need to know that. And, and John, you've totally highlighted why that's totally a piece of this game. Before we move on from this, I, I want to very briefly talk a little bit more about the workers, the specific number of them, because you start the game with three, as I said, and you can get more. You can get all the way up to five. And I have a really silly thing that I want to say. And the workers I, aren't the citizens, just to be clear. We yes. should kind of like clarify that, right? You have <laughs> workers that you're placing and citizens are like little people. You're They're a resource, essentially. Yeah. And the citizens work for you, so don't get confused. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> uh, but the thing I, I was thinking about, specifically after I had that, that really... Uh, unhappy play is that this game is fun when you're doing things and, and I think that's a very it's kind of a silly thing to say like duh but a big problem that I had in that game is I was trying to play it with just three workers um, there's a, a few tracks and one of them lets you unlock more workers and I felt like I was going to try to to be successful because uh, there's lots of other ways to squeeze bonus actions out of different um, mechanics that we haven't discussed just yet and I kind of fell on that sword of like I'm not going to get more workers I'm going to try to do good with three while both of you got up to five workers and you just did so many more things than I did and like I said with the downtime like I'd do my three actions and then I'd have to wait for both of you to take two more actions between you which caused downtime and at the end of the day I just found myself feeling like it's only fun when you're doing stuff and so I personally feel like every time I'm going to play Messina, I'm probably going to try to rush to get the four and five workers. That's what I did last night. I got my fourth worker in the very first round, and I got my fifth worker in the second round, um, which is why Anastasia thought I was going to run away with it, and it was awesome that you caught, caught up, considering I had five workers for several rounds where you had three. Uh, like, you'd be done, and then i just, like, take a few actions by myself. And uh, so it's cool to see that rubber band back from a bounce perspective, but from, like, a fun perspective, I... I I see myself always leaning towards getting more workers because just having less wasn't as fun to me. I mean, let's let's be clear. In the games that we've played, no one has ever won this game with just three workers. Uh, the the game yeah. it feels really bad 
to not have them. And, you know, in most worker placement games, getting more workers is just really good. And in this game, there's no payment. You don't need to feed them. There's no sort of like consequences for having extra ones. You just need to move up this track to a certain distance. And so it's pretty clear to me that not getting the fourth worker is just a shoot yourself in the foot decision in this game. You you probably don't need the fifth one, but but you got to get that fourth one. Um, I mean, that being said, Anastasia, you got him late last night and you still managed to make it work. I did. And I found myself, you know, I don't like games that sort of force you in one direction. And if there is a critique to have for this game is that the nature of this game, there's an arc here. And and we'll talk about that in a minute. But it does kind of point you in some directions that it sort of feels like you have to take. And, And I don't love that. And whenever I see that in the game, I tend to naturally be like, well, what's option B? Like, I don't know why I'm so contrarian, but I just am like... I don't like to be forced to do anything. And so I don't love that it does kind of feel like you need to run up this one particular track that 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 gives you workers. And John, I've seen you do that in every game. And I don't like to think that that has to be the path. And I have not found myself in a position in any of the games I've played that I have I have felt like that was the best move for me. And so in almost every game, I have only had three workers for most of the game. And last night, with no exception, uh, there's only six rounds. I had got my fourth and fifth worker both in the fifth round. Right. So it is possible to still do fairly well by not having them. But it is true that John just had more opportunity to do things by having those extra workers. And I, I do worry that, that you it will always be better to get that fourth worker early or to get that fifth worker as soon as possible. And uh, the one disadvantage that I do want to point out is that you you can pay money to move up on... There are three tracks in this game. One of them is the plague track. And whenever you fight plague, you're going to go up it. There's no way to move up that otherwise. The other two, one of them is going to give you workers. And the other one kind of makes your overseer board, the board we've been talking about that we haven't fully explained, but it makes moving on that board better. And you can pay money to move up the worker track or the overseer track. And once you add another worker, the cost for moving up that goes up. So I do see, I do think it is interesting to consider possibly working a strategy where you keep low on workers and you use money to move up higher on the bottom track which is essentially what i did last night and then get your workers but i still don't know that that's enough to overbalance you know someone having their fourth and fifth worker fairly early on so yeah a lot of things to consider well i think we should really talk about those uh overseer boards now because you know yeah somebody who doesn't know how the game plays you might be thinking how the heck could somebody uh, uh, vie for contention with three workers versus five. And that's because workers aren't the only way you get actions in this game. Um, you have this player board in front of you and you put citizens down onto it. Six citizens go into little quarantine huts and they stay there for a couple rounds and then you're able to use them out on this board. And I'm not even going to try to graphically describe it to you. Um, feel free to Google it if you want. It's effectively <laughs> some looping tracks. And Many actions, many different things in this game let you move a token down these tracks, and you have your citizens next to the tracks, kind of on either side. And when you move these tokens around, you can actually pop off with them and get a bunch of bonus actions for them, especially because you can upgrade them and whatnot. So from a very high level, what that means is, like, these workers, you just move the workers around the board. I remember last night there was one turn where I moved my worker and I got one wood, and that was my whole action from that one worker. So, yes, I had more workers, but I didn't get much out of that one action. I needed that wood, but still, versus 
Anastasia moved one of those overseers on her board and did three things with it. Uh, she, like, flipped over a citizen, she got a major fire token, and then she spent some money to go up one of the tracks. It was just like, whoa, okay, so <laughs> this you can have these little action explosions without even using your workers. Uh, and so there's ways to weave all this stuff together. And it's honestly challenging to describe all this in podcast form. <laughs> I mean, the way I view the citizens, right? There's green, brown, black citizens. There's three tracks and they're, they're forked at the end of the tracks you choose. This green guy is going to pair up with browns or this green guy is going to pair up with blacks, right? And you have to like choose how you're establishing that on your board. And so that's how you get like your crazy combos, right? Is by like choosing what those pairings are. Um, this, uh, visually is very cool on the board and I would say is maybe my favorite or if not my second favorite component of this game is these, uh, again, unfortunately named overseer boards, um, (laughs) where, where you're using these citizens to cash in on all these extra bonuses. Um, the games that have felt the most insane have always been, with setting up nice little combos that trigger like resource gain and build a thing uh multiple stuff is going on like these these citizen boards are like really where the cool stuff happens in this game and also the stuff where you're like well i set this guy up here and now i'm taking this action because i'm very amazing at this game by having like lined up these two tracks with each other and now they're pinging off of each other and that's so awesome uh, and so the overseer board is is uh, unique in their in its interwovenness of the of these sort of like three colors of rewards that you can get with her, which are the citizens. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think I've ever seen anything like this before. I like I, <laughs> it is it is very unique to this game. I agree, Nick. This is my favorite aspect of the game. It is. It is so cool, and it, it looks like like almost like a flower. Like I, I don't. It's hard. It is it's really like a hard to describe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was gonna say like a fleur de lis, and it's like, and you really have to think about it. You might sit down and look at it and think, oh, I'm gonna do all of this, but you're not. You're gonna do like one segment of this, and it's and it's like you said, Nick. It's gonna be two different colors. I mean, like two halves of two out of the three colors is probably what you're going to do most. And then maybe something else. And that's how you're going to make these crazy combinations because there's a real ramp factor with these boards. Like the first movement only lets you choose from like two spaces, but then as you keep going, you're allowed to choose from these different segments. And then as you get further, then you can choose from two different segments. And if you're able to then flip your token which is something you can do when i was talking about those different tracks moving up on that track that kind of affects your overseer board will let you flip your token over and doing that is going to like let you take an additional action so as you keep going and like kind of working your board and obviously there's worker placement spots within the city of messina that are going to let you move and when i was talking about the three actions that created the situation with john in the game last night it was an overseer movement move that I needed to take, right? Because it's, it's so, it just leads to so many other things because the action spots with on these boards are also like the action spots within the tiles on the city of Messina. So it's like, you think you're taking one action, but then it, it's just going to build out into a whole bunch of other things. And it, it's so satisfying. It's so fun. And I, I just, I love it. I love this part of the, of the game. And I think that it, it's, it's just like i said it's like nothing i've ever seen before 
I think your fastest strategy level up in this game is to realize that you should get citizens because they're relatively free to get if you pay attention to where they are. And then the overseer actions are the best actions you can take in this game. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. And, and that's not really worker placement. That's just this little puzzle that's in front of you. Um, and, you know, paying attention to other people's puzzles is good too. I just want to be clear that like when you're, when we're talking about these action spots on the board, they only work if you take a citizen and put it in there, whether like John said, you pull them from your quarantine cabin or whether you take them off of the board. And so when we were talking about earlier about these kind of interesting decisions that you have to make, do you take a sick citizen and do you put them over here or do you put someone onto your board? These are kind of what you're thinking when you're, when you're looking at your overseer board, am I going to be able to use an action because I have a citizen there? And I just, I want to make sure we're clear on that. Uh, and one other interesting thing about the citizens is they're they're a, a multi-use resource to a certain extent. You know, they w they can come off the board sick or they can come off the board healthy. Uh, when they're sick, they go into quarantine ha cabins, and you can actually build things so that sick people in your cabins make you resources or points or money or fire tokens that you can use to fight the plague. Um, healthy ones go onto your main board, like we were just saying, that you can then activate with overseers. And then you can also construct these buildings to then remove healthy citizens from your combo board and put them into this little house which will either give you immediate stuff or ongoing stuff and when you move those citizens kind of through this system you you get various things out of them you know when they're in the quarantine huts you get income when they're on the player board you get pop off combo stuff when you remove it from the player board you're you're maybe breaking that combo up but maybe that's fine because you just removed a black uh token and now you have another black token that's about to come in and finally um, these citizens, as we mentioned way at the beginning, return to Messina. You know, the arc of this game is there's plague has arrived. Everybody tries to leave. And by the end of the game, you want to bring people back and you could remove people from your combo board or from your houses, even um, essentially removing those uh, incomes in order to repopulate the board. And this is a big action that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, when you move your workers and place them onto the board, you either do the action that's printed there or you could repopulate. And um, that's just essentially just spend your people. Um, you lose them. They go back to the supply. It's it's the uh, the end of the overall system. Uh, you've squeezed a whole bunch of value <laughs> hypothetically out of them. And now they leave. And then every time you repopulate, you put a token onto a hex and you get a pile of points for the end of the game. You are opening the door to a conversation that I wanted to have about the, and no theme is a fraught, uh, word to use in the in the board game world like we don't necessarily <laughs> agree on what what theme means in games but the theme of this game or the story of this game and um, it has a couple hits and, and misses for me and I I am not sure where I really land in terms of do I think this game is like thematic because I have those like very dichotomous feelings so let me start off with the hit and the hit for me is that the, the designer of this game very explicitly said they wanted there to be an arc in the game right and the idea here is that the plague starts coming out the plague gets insane and then the plague is washed away and you take these citizens and you return them to messina and the mechanics of this game and the reward systems of this game make that happen every game they it do. is it is always going to ramp up you are you are motivated as a player in the game to then kind of repopulate the city and i think that flow of the game is a, is a total hit for me in terms of the theme and the the mechanics being married to the theme here. Is there a miss that's coming after that? Oh sure, yeah. I just wasn't sure <laughs> if there was anything that y'all really loved before I like took my my beef here. So my miss is 
the plague cubes, which we haven't talked about the plague cubes in, in depth. And it's even right now in this moment, I call them plague cubes, not the plague. And I think that's, that's bad. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Plague, plague cubes come out in this game at the beginning of every turn. They go on a third of the, of the, of the areas in the city. And sometimes they go with citizens and sometimes they don't. And if a citizen is in a place with a plague cube, then when you save them, they need to go into the quarantine cabin. And if you don't save them, they go straight into your villa as you've saved them and they're they're relatively healthy. Um, I don't like this mechanic because uh, in general, you are motivated to fight plague in this game rather than avoid plague, which I think is counterintuitive. Um, there is a, there is a penalty for going to plague locations, but in the games that we've played, the penalty has been minuscule enough that if, if you need to go there, you will go there. Um, and largely what you're going to do is be prepared to fight the plague anyway. Um, I don't understand the idea of like, I'm this like villa owner who's like rescuing citizens but also like trying to collect my own like money and resources like i just seem like i'm doing everything like i'm both a philanthropist and a merchant and then the thing that really (laughs) really got under my skin the most was i was playing a game where i wanted to i was trying to decide what action to take on a turn and i asked john who's you know our perpetual game teacher i said <laughs> can i take a citizen that isn't sick and put them in a quarantine cabin because that was the best thing that could happen for me in the game yeah. and of course the answer is no and the fact that that went through my head is nonsense to me right the fact that i would ever <laughs> be motivated to to get sick citizens rather than like healthy citizens is like it just it it just boggled my mind and it really bothered me. That happened last night in our game with Anastasia. We we were in the uh I, I think it was the sixth round of the game, it just started, and uh Anastasia commented like, Okay, I need to get a sick person. I looked out to the board and I said, There's no sick people. There's none. They don't exist. <laughs> That's it. There's no more sick people for the rest of the game. And you're like, Yay. But I got all these <laughs> I could really I do with some sick people right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean uh... It's just, it, it, it's so funny because it, it, I mean, you're right, Nick. I mean, it, it doesn't, I like, I could twist the theme here and like make it make sense. I'm like, well, you don't want to put healthy people into your quarantine cabins because they've been infected with plague and like blah, 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 blah. But, and, but I, at the same time, from a game design perspective, I just, I love that decision. I love that you're, that you have people in quarantine. We haven't really talked about this, but your people in quarantine stay there for two rounds. They move, you know, they stay there for one round. They make this, the stuff that they make you and then they stay there for another round and then they come onto your board. And so you actually, there's this kind of ongoing timing mechanic, right? Like I'm going to put this person down. It's going to work for me for two rounds and it's going to go do something else for me. And then to your point about the arc of the game, Nick, then I might go put it to work doing something else for me in a building where it can live. And then I might go put it to work repopulating Messina. And so it's like, if you, if you really are playing the game, well, these citizens are going to move all through all these different places on your board. And I think that is so cool. I just, I, I love that. And so it's interesting because, wow, when I hear you take it apart, I'm like, well, yeah, that's like, it, 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 it doesn't feel perfectly thematic, but at the same time, I feel like this is one of the most thematic euros I've ever played. I mean, to 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 see the way that arc plays out 
and the plague gets worse at a certain point and it gets harder to fight at a certain point and that it encourages you. I feel the opposite of what you say, Nick. Like it encourages you to fight the plague, to stop it, get it out of Messina rather than to avoid it and let it overtake Messina. Like I do enjoy that there's a fight back element to that and that there's a reward for that. And that you have citizens who actually, unlike a lot of games, they just come on your board and they just sit actually do do different things and they move and then they move around and then when they go repopulate they stop working for you like you can't you don't just get to hold on to them so i i really enjoy how they have worked the theme into this game and actually added that and i don't usually care about theme you give me the driest euro and i'll still play it like i don't care but you know if it's there and it works you know i love it i think it's great so i i I hear you, but I think I disagree with you. <laughs> well, none of us have ever once named our citizens, so there's there's a whiff there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Remember, though, when the first game we played this, I built them a little house. Like, when I repopulated them, I, like, drew them. We've, we've, we should acknowledge, we've only played this game on Tabletop Simulator. I have ordered myself a copy from uh, Europe, but it, uh, we so we haven't dealt with a lot of the, like, we can't speak to, like, how fiddly is it to reset the game? And we haven't used the spinner or any of the stuff that, you know, the, the, yeah. the mod has done all of that for us. But um, I did. I drew them a little house because uh, I was sad. Remember, I was sad that they were leaving my <laughs> town to go. You know, I miss them. Live, live a better I, life, right? Yeah. Live, but I, yeah, as I made them a little home. I drew it on the board. <laughs> so, From a mechanical perspective, um, you know, the, the end of this loop of the repopulating Messina is probably my least favorite um, part of the whole game. Uh, and yeah, and, and the reason for that is because so many of the things that you do in this game get you stuff and, and potentially popping off or potentially setting things up to pop off. But in order to repopulate Messina, you spend an entire action repopulating. You don't do any of the other actions. You also rip your engine apart, which I'm kind of okay with. I like the I- the idea of that arc. But the but the real kicker is that you need a wagon to bring these people to Messina, and that might seem like a strange minutia, but in this game, you're going to be doing these construction actions. You can build those quarantine cabins that we've talked about and the buildings we've talked about, or you could construct a wagon. And the only thing these wagons do is bring people back to the city, and they give you a couple of points. And this leans into a bit of a pet peeve of mine that I have sometimes with Euros, where the thing that's good for you to do might not actually be the fun thing to do. Um, yeah. Constructing a quarantine cabin or maybe one of those late-game buildings is fun. Uh, that late-game building maybe bumps you up a couple times on a track, which unlocks your final worker and you're doing cool stuff, or you buy this wagon and it gets you two points, and then at some point in the future, you can essentially take a non-turn to cash in a bunch of points. Uh, because whenever you repopulate, that's all you do, is you just remove the people from your engine, and then at the end of the game, you're going to get a bunch of points. And again, I'm totally fine with the removing people from your engine part. I like that overall flow. It's just the fact that you have to essentially have a a boring build action to make this wagon. And now that you built this wagon, you have a big incentive to use it in order to have another kind of boring turn just getting points. And, and like, you need the most points to win, so I get that. But I definitely, every time I've done a repopulate action, I found myself wishing I was doing something else. But like, I guess I really should do this right now. And usually that was the right call. If you don't think scoring 15 points is exciting, then I don't I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, and that's on the kind of the unfortunate part about it, right? Is it's it's one of the major ways to score points in this game. John's already talked about. It could be significant, these, yeah. 
yeah, it's it's a big it's a big thing. There's a there's another way he already talked about these kind of scroll boards that you get, and they they do give you these like we've said these asymmetric end game scoring points that are also fairly massive, right? So you can you can I think get away without repopulating Messina, but but I the game really doesn't want you to, and this goes back yeah. to what I was saying too about kind of the kind of I don't want to say ruts, but there there is a path here, and it sort of wants you to follow it. Yeah, and so I I totally agree with you, John. It, it for me it is the least exciting part of the game, and you know we were talking about this play, John and I had where I came back, you know, in the second half of the game. But a big part of that was because my board incentivized end game scoring, and it's not the funnest thing to do. And I had to sort of accept that and lean into that. And John and I played another game, uh, like last week, where. I just didn't want to like I didn't want to shift into end game scoring and then yeah. I lost by a ton a you know because I was just having <laughs> so much fun yeah. doing all the other stuff and we talked about this a lot after that play it was like you know we wished that when you took a repopulate action you got to do something else and yeah. you got to take the action you got to do something else and it, it wouldn't work like it wouldn't work for that to happen but it does feel kind of lame but I I just want to kind of like loop back on all of that to say that what I did notice last night was that by the end of the game, John and I each had five workers. And by that point, it did feel like there was really nothing else for the fourth and fifth worker to do, but to repopulate. Right. And I actually felt like by that point, let's be clear. That was my sixth play of this game. So (laughs) by the time we did that fifth or sixth, like by the time I felt like, oh, this worked out in a way where I saw what they were intending with this. That I had already had to have played the game five or six times to get there. But I did see that having that fourth and fifth worker, I was like, okay, this is what this one's supposed to do. And I think I paired it with, with fighting off some plague, which moved me up on a track, which moved me up on another track, which did give me some kind of follow-up actions. It didn't feel as good as taking an action. Yeah. But at that point, I also just didn't have anything else to do because I had built to that moment so i don't know it's it's i think it's just something you have to accept about the game but it is the least exciting part of the game yeah and it's a bit of a pet peeve um i i don't have a problem with the idea of the repopulating i just wish there was more fun sauce slathered on top of that as opposed to just like here's a here's a pile of points i wish you know the 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 cart wasn't there to have like one less step towards that whole thing happening but again that is minutiae and and honestly i think that's going to kind of bring me to a point where I want to back up a little bit uh, and to kind of sum up a lot of my thoughts about the game overall. I, I've I mentioned a couple times that I had like a miserable play and then some wonderful plays. And, and where I land with Messina um, all combined is that I've really enjoyed playing this game at two players. Um, I had an okay game at three and an awful game at three. So I think that's kind of where I land. Like I'm actively looking forward to playing this game at two players more. I'm looking forward to exploring the advanced boards more. This is, uh, it's been a fun game overall. Like I really like the puzzles and the stuff that comes together. I think the, the pet peeves that I have don't drag it down too much as long as the downtime <laughs> is kept in check. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I've made it pretty clear throughout this podcast how much I have enjoyed playing this game. I I think it is it's just it scratches my brain in the best way. There's just there's just enough randomness to kind of limit my AP, but just enough to think about that there's plenty for my mind to chew on. It doesn't break my brain. It gives me lots to do. It's very satisfying and I've I've had an absolute blast playing it. I'm and we've played a lot of great 
games this year and i thought arc nova was going to be my favorite game of 2021 and i really really enjoy arc nova too for similar reasons but this game they're very very different i'm not trying to compare them in any way shape or form i just think that for me with the the way this game moves and how satisfying it is i just i i don't think i'd ever turn down a play of this and i you know I went out, found myself a copy of it, and I'm I'm kind of constantly saying, let's play this one. So I have greatly enjoyed it. And I I just want to circle back on, you know, two two pieces of it that I do think are a little bit of my, one is an excitement and one is a hesitation. And my hesitation is what I've been talking about, which are the sort of ruts that I feel like you can fall into. And I as much as I enjoy exploring the game and really hope that I can find different avenues, I do worry that, you know, moving up on that, that worker track is really important or, you know, that you have to kind of switch to repopulating in the later rounds. And it is interesting that you start this game with absolutely no resources. Like you just start. So you're always starting completely blank and it just kind of starts flat. But the the hit the other hit for me is something we haven't quite talked about is that the advanced boards unlike the beginner boards have these immediate bonuses that you can take when you put a citizen on it immediately does an action rather than you put it down and then you have to take an overseer movement to get to it that's for me the biggest difference between the two and i just think that is so much fun it pops your game off from the beginning depending on the board that you play and it just it just creates constant fun choices and constant different avenues about how you want to execute and I just I love that I can't wait to explore that more and I hope that as if this game kind of sticks around if there's more to it that there's just even more variability around that to be explored within what I think is really cool design it's so funny to me because I like this game but the things that Anastasia is pointing out as like some of her favorites are some of the things that are really stand out is the things getting in the way for this game being really like a, a great <laughs> game for me really i mean it's i think it's it's very good i enjoy it and uh i would play it you know with anastasia anytime she wanted to basically right but i'm not i'm not seeking it out and i'm, I'm not going to teach it to other people um the things that really stand in the way for me are as she mentioned uh i don't like that that everyone starts with nothing in this game and the first round of this game is like th- this game's already long enough as it is and i think not as an expansion, but just straight up as a component of the design, I think it would be better if the first round was abstracted out and you had some starting bonuses. It could be something like a Zulkin where like you have different starting bonuses or whatever. Um, but I, I really think that the game could have been cut down in favor of that. And I think it would have just improved improved the experience. Maybe not the whole design, but I think it would have improved the experience. Um, so that's a whiff for me. I also, in general, don't prefer a game where you can do everything and you know all of us now have played at least one game where we've just like popped off like crazy basically done everything in the game and broken the scoring track like the scoring track doesn't even go to the points (laughs) that we've received yeah it goes uh, up to 150 and and we've we've gone above that definitely gone over that yeah and in my second game i scored in the 170s or something like that like i just i i like a game to me variability in a game is you can't explore all the avenues and so that's that's something that's that's a personal preference for sure. That's not a criticism of the game. It's just something that doesn't land for for me as much. Um, 
And then, you know, I, I mentioned way earlier in this podcast that I didn't like the advanced boards as much. Anastasia mentioned, and I agree with the biggest difference is the one-off actions. I just feel they're unfair. And that's the part that I don't, I don't like about the advanced boards. They are exciting uh, for the person who's executing them. Right. And, (laughs) And I think, I think on the, I think they, they induce jealousy in the other players, not, um, not joy. And I think, I don't, I don't, I don't like that it does that. Um, so I've talked about the things that I haven't liked, but I, I also really want to hit the things that I do think are cool about this game. When we first played this game, the worker placement, worker movement thing seemed okay to me. But as we played a little bit more, the fact that every space asks you three questions, what does my space do? What are the citizens here? And what's the plague situation on this space? Those three very simple questions with very simple rewards make an easy decision into a very interesting complex decision and i think good complex games take easy decisions and make them into complex decisions total victory right there that's my favorite part about this game and then as i mentioned before my second favorite part about this game is that overseer track the fact that you can have these citizens as Anastasia actually mentioned in, when we were talking about the theme section right like live a different life they can do this and then they can serve this purpose and this purpose like that is cool from a game design perspective it's like a huge victory that you can think oh this guy's gonna go here and then two turns from now he's gonna come out and he'll live there and then i'll get those rewards like you can really sequence stuff in a way that feels so satisfying uh and so that's that's a total w as well for me yeah so yeah i think that's gonna finish uh pretty much everything that we have to say about this one we had quite a bit to say about this one um it's been fun exploring it for sure and um I imagine uh, some of us more than others will be playing it more in the future, but I can imagine we're all going to get at least uh, another couple plays in. Uh, so yeah, that's going to bring this one to a close. Um, if you have anything you'd like to say about this, if uh, any questions or if you have experience with the game and you want to weigh in, then please comment about it. Uh, there is a YouTube version of this podcast. You can find that in the description of the podcast, or if you're watching this on YouTube, then hello, and uh, <laughs> go ahead and comment down below. We'd really like to see that kind of feedback. And uh, yeah, that's going to bring this to a close. Thanks again for listening. Thanks, everyone. Bye.